Welcome to the Solomon's Corner Podcast. Sorry for the delay. We're still a little bit new to this whole thing, but we have a great show for you. We are going to be talking about a feedback loop that my wife did last week as well as this week. So, But she's gotten faster at muting things, you know. Sometimes you just, those those uh, Russian order brides, you know, they just don't turn out the way you think. But anyway, moving on. And a man alive. Uh got to remember here, I have to do handwritten notes today because we're, we're just that far behind, but the store is coming along well. We're going to be talking about the Project Veritas video that came out, as well as AI, again, I know, but it's kind of a big deal. You know, you can't just let that thing go off into into nowhere. And then we're also going to be talking about Scott Adams, the uh, writer of the Dilbert cartoons, who uh, put out a tweet. He's actually kind of come around to saying, you know, actually the vaccine people were right, I was wrong. And he had this really interesting video, but he posed a question that we're going to talk about, which is, you know, how did we know? So um, without further ado, welcome to the Solomon's Corner Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Roberts, and I uh, hope you're in for a good time. Welcome to the Solomon's Corner Podcast, a place for thinkers. Join us as we explore the depths of theology, philosophy, and the Christian intellectual life. Boom. Now, if that's not an intro that gets you pumped up about being an intellectual, I don't know what will, but you're going to be grossly disappointed because we're not that prudish. But, you know, the intro works, and my wife made it, so I have to like it. So, anyway, before we get started, I have a couple announcements. Um, number one is uh, our, our coverage of the, of the balloon. Um, just real quick, I want to test this out. This is a good, a good test here. Wow, that's loud. But... Turn down the volume and you guys will be all right. Good night, table. Good night, moon. Good night, Chinese spy balloon. There is a child awake. So, uh, there you go. Pretty cool. And then we go back to self. Man, that is loud. So, we'll try and figure that out uh, for next time. But anyway, so we got some cool transition slides, some cool tech that we are testing out today. So, thanks again for jumping on. That is our coverage of the Chinese balloon. That's, it. That's all you're going to get. So deal with it. All right. So we've got some announcements that are coming up. Number one, we need you to go subscribe on Rumble. Okay. We have to uh, get more subscribers here. So if you don't know what we look like on Rumble, you go in here, you type in Solomon's Corner. Boom. Right there. Hit that follow button right there. You're going to have to have an account, but we need 25 in order to live stream on Rumble. And given the fact that YouTube will review our channel when we want to be monetized, there's a good chance we just won't be able to to get monetized. <laughs> so uh, help us out here. Go to Rumble. It's in the description already, so you should be able to click there. If you have to leave for a second, go subscribe, come back. That's totally fine. But we really do need you to subscribe here. We are going to start making this our primary uh, location where we upload stuff first. We will have stuff on there that's not on YouTube uh, for obvious reasons. Um, so moving on to the next uh, announcement which is we have, if I can get back to my control panel here, we have uh, Pro-Life Coffee coming on to the show as well next week. So we need you to send us your questions that you might want to have for that Pro-Life Coffee company. It's uh, Rob Mitt, right? That's his name. So if you haven't followed Pro-Life Coffee on Twitter, at Pro-Life Coffee, they're actually North Arrow Coffee. I'm going to show you what their account looks like right now, which is right here. And they are doing a contest with yours truly, 
So make sure you go to their uh, their account and you follow North Arrow Coffee or at Pro Life Coffee. And then when you do this, you got to follow me too. And they're going to do a giveaway of some coffee. So make sure you check this out. It's right there. Curious about the poll? Me too. Yeah. What do you put in your pro-life coffee? Honey, crack, a.k.a. white sugar, nothing, or fake sugar? So it's getting a lot of traction. So if you can go in there and help boost that, that'd be great. Follow them. And uh, if you can hold off buying coffee until we interview them, that'd be great because their word on the street is we're going to have a little promo code that'll help us out and help them out. So uh, if you uh, haven't followed them, make sure you do. And we're going to do some stuff with them next week. So again, send us your questions. You can post them in the comments here. If you have questions about what their business is like, what they are all about, um, we're going to have a good conversation next week. So uh, that, that'll be pre-recorded. We'll still have the show next week after we record, but we're going to make sure we record that one and, and ask the questions and stuff. Um, so I'm going to come back here. I'm still lear- learning this whole new setup that we got here. All right. And then the last thing is we have a Substack. So we need to figure out what you uh, what you guys like to read on. We're working on some articles and stuff, and there's going to be a whole new segment at the end of the show called Reading and Writing, where I'm going to give you guys the prompt that I have for the week for the article, and you can write on that as well along with me, and we can you know talk about our different essays and stuff like that. Or you'll just end up reading my you know blog, which is totally fine, because this is all about trying to live an intellectual life, which writing is a necessary part, as well as reading. So um, stay to the end of the show. We're going to talk about the books that we're reading, and we're going to talk about the writing prompt. But that being said, Substack is has some pluses and minuses, um, and we just need to know what you guys think about that. So if you've made it this far into the video, let us know where you like to read WordPress or like a normal website or Substack or wherever. It probably doesn't matter to you as much, but we need to know just roughly so that we can plan our, uh, our, our platforms. And then the last thing I want to give you as far as an announcement is our e-store update. We're going to have to sh- shorten these announcements, but... We've made some really good progress on this as well. And so Lindsay has been doing a kick butt job on our store. So here are some pens and the old uh, pictures here that we've got here. I don't know how to navigate everything, but I'm assuming that if I click the, oh, there we go. Yep. You come in here, look at that beauty. I make these. Um, and so there is a whole bunch of, of uh, pens on there. This is called Starry Night. And so we are getting ready to launch our e-store and what is holding us up is we've got to find a supplier for the Intellectual Life Starter Kit. And so one of the things, here, I'll show you one more. There's an, there's going to be, an, oh, these guys are sweet. That one's not free. Don't get any ideas. We just haven't set the price yet. This guy's my favorite, Cambridge. He's pretty solid. I can't remember what you called this one, Lindsay, but it, it's really awesome. And I, I use I have a personal pen for this one that I write with. It's really good. So anyway... Uh, that's what we're going to be selling because we want to encourage people to use uh, actual writing utensils when they write their thoughts or write their own little, you know, philosophical treatises in their journals that nobody will read, but they'll at least know themselves. You know, know thyself. It's kind of important. Man, you did a great job on this stuff. You guys better start showing some some love on here to the to the to the store. It's gonna be it's gonna be pretty awesome. So we're excited about that. We've just got to get some more things taken care of, but it's coming along. Um, so once we get the supplier, we will have the. Uh, intellectual life starter kits and what that will entail is going to be these a book of uh, the intellectual life oh look that it doesn't know how to focus there we go intellectual life there with a journal plus your choice of a mug right Uh, black or white right now I'm doing the white Um, the other mug I call the problem of evil Uh, not because I don't like it as much but you know anyway you get the idea so 
uh, that is everything. We're going to uh, switch into our conversation about some of these stories. The first one of which is going to be the, um, the uh, what's it called? The Project Veritas sting operation. Now, like I said, we have to... Uh, we have to be mindful of what we cover here because when we submit our channel for a review, YouTube is going to decide, based on our content, whether or not we qualify to be monetized. So I'm not going to use the word for the syringe, which had a fluid in it that would help you with COVID-19. Instead, we need to think of a different word to describe it so that I can talk about this story. And I would like my wife to help me out with this and she doesn't know. So I'm putting her on the spot. So here we go. I was, what should we use for the moniker for the thing? Oh man. I mean, I have a couple ideas. One is schmackschmeen. No, not schmackschmeen. No, okay. no that's right. bad. Okay. Bad news. Bad start. How about right. cheeseburger? Okay. Cheeseburger <laughs> gives immunity to certain viruses. Um, so this is, this is stay with me here, people. Cause I'm trying to, trying to beat the censorship game. Basically, Project Veritas dropped a video about the cheeseburger again. And this time, what we all thought about the cheeseburger, which was that cheeseburgers have effects on menstrual cycles, is actually appears to be substantial. Now, I'm not going to play the video. If you want to go uh, watch the video, it got over 20 million hits on, U on Twitter, and YouTube pulled the video down. And now Project Veritas is being threatened to be suspended again. And so this is this is a big story. And to put it in perspective, Steven Crowder did a Change My Mind video, okay? And right now, I think it's sitting around like 44 million views on YouTube by itself. Now, that video is seven years old, okay? I would love for my video to get several million hits. That'd be great, okay? Uh, I'd probably find out that I'm wrong a lot about a lot of stuff. But at the end of the day, you know, it'd be good. Project Veritas's video about the cheeseburger and the menstrual, or not the menstrual, this was actually myocarditis. So they, they got this guy, just context here, they got this guy who is a researcher at the cheeseburger plant known that starts with a P and end was with an Iser. And what happened was is that they actually got him on camera talking about side effects that they hadn't researched and uh, different effects that they were seeing, but were still continuing to push the vaccine. So there's a lot of damning stuff in this story about the cheeseburgers. The latest one is about the uh, menstrual cycles in women, which a lot of people actually suspected, especially women who got the vaccine, reported miscarriages, reported all this other stuff. What is it? Yeah, about not about the cheese. Well, the cheeseburger you didn't eat; you put it in your arm. <laughs> Just what you did was you put the cheeseburger in a syringe, and you go. It was a special new kind of cheeseburger that had emergency <laughs> authorization because no one had eaten a cheeseburger through their arm before. And so this is why we suspect it has side effects. Yeah. I mean, in a case of an emergency, yes. when you really need a cheeseburger. When you really need a cheeseburger. Sometimes you need to just yeah. turn it into liquid and That's shoot right. it in your And arm. it was because the lettuce was causing heart problems as well. And so, you know, anyway, these jokes are getting out of hand. But the point is, is that they dropped another video. And uh, the first one got over 20 million hits in, in 24 hours. So think about that. Crowder's video on gender, 44 million hits, seven years. They got 20 million just on Twitter alone in less than 24 hours. Okay, this thing is blowing up all over the internet. Pfizer issued a statement about the fact that, you know, some of these the, the statements in it were kind of true, but not kind of true. It's really murky about what they actually did. 
But there's a there's another tie-in to something else we talked about here about the, the episode. And again, you need to go watch it because this is a big deal, especially for those of you who got the vaccine and made everybody feel guilty. The of, cheeseburger? The, sorry, the cheeseburger. <laughs> sorry, especially for those people who got the cheeseburger. This episode is going to be struck out oh, from, yeah. from consideration. Yes, probably. <laughs> but the bottom line is, is that if you went and got the cheeseburger and you felt like it was a great thing for you, that's awesome. Well, you probably want to maybe go watch these videos and think differently about how much you trust pharmaceutical companies or your doctor. Um, at the end of the day, you still need medicine. You still need vaccines for some stuff. This one was just botched up. Sorry, cheeseburgers. You still need cheeseburgers for some stuff. It's just it's botched up on this one. So anyway, the bottom line is, is that um, there's another story we talked about, though, which was the Louder with Crowder uh, episode or the Louder with Crowder and Daily Wire kind of breakup episode where Steven Crowder came out and showed that, you know, it looks like Daily Wire has terms and conditions that favor YouTube's algorithms and their strike policies and their demonetization and stuff. And that appears to be true. It doesn't, you know, they were pretty transparent about it. And I've been thinking about this a lot because I watched these guys as I was, you know, contemplating doing Solomon's Corner, both Crowder and Ben Shapiro and others. They're an inspiration to pretty much any conservative probably who wants to do sort of cultural engagement like we're doing on this show. And, the thing that struck me about the Project Veritas thing is that, number one, I haven't seen any Daily Wire hosts actually cover it. So maybe, you know, again, this dropped. It's been going on for a while. None of the Daily Wire hosts covered it. Daily Wire did put it on their on their website as an article talking about Project Veritas. They've been all over their written content, which, again, YouTube doesn't monitor. Um, but their video content has, as far as I can tell, not said a word about these cheeseburger videos. Okay. So the reality is, is that it's possible that Crowder's video, his little sting operation on Daily Wire, actually helped them. And and hear me out. When when we were doing the when COVID nineteen came through and we were under under lockdown and stuff and the vaccines and stuff, everybody kind of felt like, well, the vaccine is an emergency authorized thing. The cheeseburger. The cheeseburger is an emergency authorized thing. Well, we're moving past the project. Well, I guess I, I don't know. Anyway, the bottom line is. <laughs> This 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 episode's going to hell in a handbasket, so maybe we'll just maybe we'll just pull it and then they won't be able to see it. There you go. It'll be our our limited edition. Get an NFT of Solomon's Corner's botched up episode about Project Veritas and cheeseburgers. What? Um so back to Daily Wire and, and this this Project Veritas sting video. Daily Wire hasn't really covered it, and it is probably one of the most it is the most viral story of the year so far, easily. I mean, it was beating out the Chinese weather balloon bullshit stuff like last like like all night. And I tweeted out something that went moderately viral for us where it's like, OK, yeah, so Project Veritas drops a, 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 a video on the fertility side effects of this cheeseburger and there's a weather balloon in it, the same day. OK, well, seems seems about right. And everybody gets distracted with a weather balloon. That's not to say that somebody's running a psyop to try and just because of Project Veritas. It's just Murphy's Law, conspiracy theory, whatever. It's just unfortunate that it's there. And if you looked at what was trending on Twitter, Project Veritas and the Chinese weather balloon were neck and neck all night. So what did Daily Wire cover? The weather balloon. They didn't cover Project Veritas. Now, I don't think that this actually hurts them anymore because of what Crowder did. And the reason why is because now we all know that when they don't cover a story like this, there's actually a reason that is not 
counter to the story itself. During COVID-19, when we were locked down and we were questioning the vaccine and its efficacy and its emergency authorization, all those kinds of things, they didn't, they, they were pretty soft on it. And we all wondered why. And anybody who had tense conversations with family or friends about how they were choosing to operate during the pandemic felt this when there was not proper coverage of respected news outlets like Daily Wire, especially when Ben Shapiro is out there plugging the vaccine and openly stating that he is the most pro-vaccine advocate on the right. So this did not help their reputation because it seemed like they were in conflict with the fact that all this big tech stuff was censoring people over COVID-19. And I'm, you know, from the generation of students that grew up studying, you know, Nazi Germany and communism. And, and one of the things our teachers would tell us is, when they silence somebody, the person silenced is probably right. So, you know, a lot of us had this kind of questioning of Daily Wire. But the point is, is that now that we all know that they have a, a possible financial hit that comes, or at least we, we suspect that they do. We don't know their contracts. They're confidential. But we suspect that they do. Now, all of a sudden, when we see a Project Veritas video like this, we don't sit there and go, how come they're not covering it? We go, it's okay, Daily Wire. We know. We got your back. We understand. Yep, you're in an abusive relationship with YouTube. We get it. So that means Project Veritas is probably actually true, even though Daily Wire didn't cover it. And so this actually probably helped their reputation because it actually gave them the freedom now because everybody knows, for the most part, how they operate as a business, that they can't cover all these things or else they would lose the money to be able to produce the content that they want to produce. Hopefully they start producing some content that I would prefer to watch, like you know some male protagonists. You know, every single movie they've done so far as a female protagonist, nothing against women. They've got great adventure stories, too. It's just, come on, DW, like, give us like a Chris Pratt movie or something. OK, you know, anyway, it's not like he's busy or anything doing, you know, James Reese movies. All right. So moving on. That's a big story. You need to go check it out. The second one is um, on AI. OK, now this is. This is, well, actually, I'm going to save AI for last. So I think this transitions well into Scott Adams' question. And I was going to have his tweet pulled up, but I, uh, I, I didn't have time to find it. But anyway, the bottom line is he's been on Twitter. And for those who don't know who he is, he's the Dilbert cartoonist. He was interviewed by Ben Shapiro on the Sunday special a couple years back. He's a really smart guy. Um, has some weird beliefs. I believe he, he believes that we're in a simulation. And uh, at the end of the day... He's he's kind of he's he's an interesting character. I don't know if he's actually going to watch this or not. I tagged him in the tweet, so if you want him to watch it, go retweet this. But the bottom line is is that he's asking this question now that he's changed his his position on whether or not the the vaccine people or the and the non-vaccine people were right. He used to be pro COVID nineteen vaccine. Now he's he's not pro COVID nineteen vaccine, and uh, and that he thinks that now he did this basically it, this congratulatory video to the the non-vaccinated saying, you guys won, you were right. I just want to know how you knew is kind of where he's at now in the stage. He's asking this from this epistemic position. You know, how did you get the knowledge that allowed you to make this judgment? And this is important from a philosophical standpoint, because one of the things we try to do here is kind of take these, I would say, what people might consider advanced philosophical concepts or terms and things like that, like metaphysics and epistemology and ethical d dilemmas. We try to boil those down into how they actually inform our decision-making or our beliefs about thing ev everyday life. 
Scott Adams is basically doing the same thing. He's asking, how did you guys know that you shouldn't get this thing when everybody who's in authority was saying you should? And so the question is, well, what does he mean by no? And I suspect, based on my limited uh, knowledge about his beliefs, but having watched a couple interviews with him, that he is using the term knowledge with the idea of certain knowledge, not probable knowledge. For him, to know is to know with certainty. That's my guess. And this is how a lot of us think as well. Like, this is a modern de description of knowledge. It's, it's not approximate. It's just pure, unadulterated truth. But in actuality, a lot of our, our, our knowledge does come with a little bit of dirt on it, right? There's something not quite right about what we believe to be true or whatever. So, for example, you might say, uh, somebody might say, well, yeah, like it, the Trinity is three gods in one. Well, not quite. It's three persons, one God, right? But we wouldn't sit there and say, well, this person has no knowledge of God because they got that part wrong. We would just say that maybe their knowledge is a little bit crusty or a little bit not quite refined, right? And this is because these kinds of things are judgments. When we are talking about human behavior, we're talking about ultimately something that we can know for certain, but can't judge with certainty, okay? So we can see behavioral patterns. I can see my wife walk across the room, and I can know with with certainty that she walked across the room. Now, somebody's going to say, well, it could be an illusion. It could be. But I can know that she walked across the room because if it, if it appears off or if I feel like I need to investigate, I can go and validate whether or not she actually did. And somebody would say, well, that's what Scott Adams is actually after here. The problem is, is that this is not calculation. No matter how you frame that scenario, it's not calculation. I'm not sitting here going, all right, now the angle of the light is coming in here and her shadow is over here. And I'm not, I'm not quantifying the behavior because behavior is, is only quantifiable to a certain point, like position relative to something else. That's what's quantifiable. The judgment about whether or not you should get the vaccine was not a quantifiable judgment. It was a, it, it, or a calculation is what we would call that. It was a judgment based on authorities and the context of the pandemic. And so when you're looking at these things, you have to ask yourself, well, what's your interpretive framework for these kinds of things? Well, as the evidence begins to mount up, you suddenly have knowledge about this evidence, right? They're silencing people. It's an emergency authorized vaccine, which is, by definition, not the same thing as a fully tested vaccine, i.e. experimental. They were trying new technology in these vaccines, and they were emergency authorized. So those two factors alone in a basic risk-benefit judgment scenario is to say that is not a good idea to trust them. Why? They're silencing people, and it's new. It's never been done before. So just based on our understanding of new things, right? That's where we had the knowledge. We had knowledge of the nature of new man-made things. And so as a result, we can say, well, that probably wasn't a good idea to try out, especially if we look at the risks of COVID, right? All the data was saying you're not at that high of a risk, especially if you're young and healthy. And even Ben Shapiro and people like this who were worried about YouTube censorship said the exact same thing. And so did the CDC. All of these groups said these things, okay? You can go check them out, right? Young people weren't at risk. So definitionally, 
if you get a new drug in your system that has new technology in it from people who are silencing other people and doing shady stuff. Oh, and by the way, they also have the largest criminal lawsuit for lying to the public. Well, this is data that says, I might want to just see how this works out for other people, especially if you got COVID and then you recovered very quickly. So Scott Adams, that's how we figured it out. Hope that helps. Anyway, moving on to AI. And I'm going to do my transition thing. Whoa, super loud. So the thing I was going to say here is if I can bring up my, my actual presentation here on AI. There we go. All right. So, um, oh, that's the episode. There you go. And it's, it's incomplete. You see that outline announcements? That's how rushed we were for this episode. So if you feel like it's a little ragtag, there you go. That's, it's true. We're just being fully transparent. So uh, one of the books that I'm reading right now is uh, Truth in Religion. Uh, by J. Mortimer Adler. And I came across this quote about uh, artificial intelligence. And one of the things that's going around the internet right now is AI, deepfakes, AI porn. I don't really care about the AI porn aspect. That's not the interesting piece to me. Some pe- a bunch of people are covering this because apparently some people had their likeness put into a deepfake porn. For those that don't know what deepfake is, it's when an AI takes a series of images, like lots and lots of images from you over the internet, and they basically create uh, pornographic um, content or they create a fake video of you saying something. And uh, I actually have an example of, of one right now. So uh, I'll show you this. Now, here is President Biden talking about homosexuals. You will never be a real woman. You oh, have no womb. You have no ovaries. You have no eggs. You're a homosexual man twisted by drugs and surgery into a crude mockery of nature's perfection. All the validation you get is two-faced and half-hearted. Behind your back, people mock you. Your parents are disgusted and ashamed of you. Your friends laugh at your ghoulish appearance behind closed doors. Men are utterly repulsed by you. Okay, there you go. That's enough. Now, do you really believe that Biden said that? Now, if he actually said that, I'm going to be shocked. But the scary thing is that you can't tell the difference. And if you actually went in and you said that uh, you watch that video without anybody, you know, helping you out, you would find uh, helping you understand that this was an actual deep fake, you might actually believe it. That's the problem, is AI is getting to a point where it is actually capable of impersonating human beings to a level that is undetectable by human beings. This is a serious problem, and it has a lot of implications for where we're headed in the future. And when I say future, I mean like in the next three to five years. Like this is this is going to utterly change how we use the internet. It's gonna possibly even push people off the internet. I mean, it, it is, everything's on the table right now. I, I think you might even see people start to move to countries where there is no internet and it's totally agrarian. I mean, it's if you look at some of the stuff that is actually being produced by AI generated stuff, it is absolutely demonic. It is it, it, it's not just able to imitate human beings. It's able to move in directions that human beings wouldn't even be capable of doing without demonic inspiration. I mean, it's just absolutely insane. Just as an example, I'm not going to show it here because it was it was so utterly disgusting. But it came up in my Twitter feed. People were sharing AI images. And one of them was a photorealistic. And for those that don't know what that term is, it means that it's a digital image that is indistinguishable from real life. 
So it was so accurately realistic that you you, th- you might think that it was real except for what it was presenting. And what it showed was a theme park in which children and adults were going and swimming in the blood of, of dead animals and people and intestines and water slides. It's like a it was a disgusting thing that was going around the Internet and people were saying who who used AI to generate this. This is the the dark side of AI. Like a lot of people are downplaying this and acting like it's not that big of a deal. I'm telling you, this is going to be in your churches. It's going to be in your small groups. It's going to be in your in your your discussion groups, your book clubs. People are going to wonder what is the ethical limits about how they should use this thing. And if you are a Christian leader, you need to buckle up because it's dark, demonic, evil, and also on the flip side, incredibly powerful for good. I mean, it is it is unreal. And if you missed our ChatGPT episode where we wrote sermons with ChatGPT on very difficult theological subjects and denominationally specific, go check it out. But this is Mortimer Adler in 1990. This is what he says about artificial intelligence. In the case of Christianity, of scientific and technological advances that may call an article of faith into question, if the prediction of computer technologists and researchers into AI is ever realized, that machines can be constructed in the future, the behavior of which will be indistinguishable from the behavior of human beings, this was written in 1990, then the Christian belief in the immortality of the human soul will be challenged. That belief depends for its rational support on the immateriality of the human intellect. If I can find my mouse, there we go. If purely material machines can do everything the human intellect can do in a manner that is indistinguishable from the performance of the intellect, then there is no philosophical ground for affirming the immateriality of the intellect. However, it may still be affirmed as an article of faith, though making that article of faith intelligible becomes more difficult. Unsupported philosophically, the immortality of the soul may become a mystery of faith. Now, that is a big deal. And if you want to know the book, there's a reference right there. Truth and Religion, Macmillan Publishing Company, 1990, page 31 through 32. Highly recommend this piece of literature. It's very good, especially if you have questions about the diversity of religions, how do we discern truth, why is it that people believe faith claims when it seems like all these other uh, fields of study actually contradict it, and we'll talk about more of that in the uh, what are we reading section. But the bottom line is that AI is going to be a very, very serious threat to theology, and this just happens with technology. Technology ends up disrupting the theological structures that are established, the establishment theological structures of its day. That's just what it does. And the reason why is because of its incredible objectivity. No one questions whether or not ChatGPT is actually some dude in his basement just responding to queries. Like nobody, nobody thinks that. But if you were to go and tell somebody in the 1990s, yeah, you're going to basically be able to ask a robot for answers to life's toughest questions, and it will be able to give you accurate and intelligible answers No one would have been able to predict that. And what is very interesting about this, actually, is how much this will affect denominational uh, splits, I think. And the reason why is because the idea of what it means to be human is a serious question that Christianity seeks to, to, to affirm in its creedal statements and in its, in its doctrines. And if we basically say that the soul is material now, it only shows Christians that they can continue to adopt these, for lack of a better term, transhumanist 
progresses in life. And so this is a big deal. People need to understand this is going to be a big, big deal. And it's not just the porn thing that's a problem. The thing that's going to be very, very disturbing is how this impacts our perception of what it means to be human. This is a big thing, and people need to start understanding what Christianity teaches about what it means to be human. Okay, so um, that's what I think about that. So anyway, man, that is super loud. Is that super loud for you? It's not super loud for me, but I can adjust it. If you click on the thing, it might not be worth doing right we now. We don't need to do it right now, but, but, but we, we'll, we'll do it later. For the sake of all your ears, if you yeah. guys are getting blasted every time we do it, please let yeah. us know. Let us know in the comments if that if these transitions are too loud. I'll do it again. Here, let me know. Because it is blowing my eardrums out. So that's why I haven't done it that much is because it's for me, not for you. But anyway, so the bottom line is uh, we're going to come into the, the section now on... Uh, on, uh, well, wait, did I forget to tell you guys anything else? Let me see here. No. Okay. So now we are at the point of the, we need a little, little in our life. And so I am going to transition to my browser. <laughs> here it comes. Oh, my, my ears. <laughs> um, and if you guys have not seen Chariots of Fire, uh, then... Uh, you need to watch it. But we are going to talk about Eric Little, and I figured we could just introduce this segment with the trailer from Chariots of Fire. Um, so we're going to play that now. We are here today to honor the legend. And remember those few young men With hope in their hearts. And wings on their heels. Now for those who are interested. Lindsay and I ran into our reception in slow motion to this song. So, little Easter egg there. I can't wait. You know, without context, this might be a weird trailer. Extraordinary. Yeah. And there you go. And that's how Elijah went to heaven. <laughs> that's what it's about. <laughs> it is funny. I think the only word that was spoken was... Extraordinary. Extraordinary. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, uh, yeah. Apparently in the... Uh, oh, 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 oh. No, we don't want that. Get, get. Get, get out of here. Um, also, apparently, David, what? thanks for letting us know that it's loud. We hear you loud and clear. Oh, David bit. Beckman. It's good to see you, dude. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I know you like Chariots of Fire. But yeah, uh, so this joke is going to fall on deaf ears. But yeah, you know, the gay propaganda was coming out way early on. I mean, look at all those guys in short shorts and white T-shirts, you know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But fun fact, the guy who plays Eric Little in that movie was gay. So, did you know that? Yeah, I knew that. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, anyway, they tried to keep it under wraps, but he did it. He played a great Christian. I mean, unbelievable. It's like, wow. So, anyway, uh, so what we did was I have, uh, I have started this tradition with my kids. I don't know if you guys can see. Oh, yeah, you can. Look at that. That is a great picture. You picked a great camera. Um, so, this is a little book that was given to me in college. It's uh, Eric Little by Catherine Swift, The Scottish Hero 
of the 1924 Paris Olympics, whose story was portrayed in Chariots of Fire. There you go. That's my best, Chris, okay? I don't know if you're going to watch this, but I'm gonna. you make fun of my accents all the time, so I'm just doing that for you. But the, uh, the book, uh, I, I got it in college, and somebody gave it to me because I was a runner. For those that don't know, I ran college in various places and, and was decently fast. And Eric Little was was somebody uh, that I looked up to big time. And uh, everybody, because I was a Christian and I was outspoken in my faith, uh, a lot of times there were comparisons to uh, Eric Little. And so there were two movies that you always watched. It was Chariots of Fire when you were on cross-country team or track, and it was Without Limits. And they are two of the best movies ever made. Uh, Without Limits is basically how Nike got started, which is kind of ironic because when you when you watch it, you're like, Steve Prefontaine is rolling over in his grave right now uh, based on everything that happened in that movie. But anyway, also I think it was produced by Tom Cruise, so fun fact there. But uh, I started reading these <laughs> these history books to my kids before bed because I thought, well, they'll, they won't be interested and they'll fall asleep. So I decided to read Eric Little, and literally the first chapter is all about the Chinese Empire. It's like very, very factually based, and some random old person, Eric Little's dad, going to do missions work. Anyway, so I started doing this, and I thought this will accomplish two things. One, I get to continue in my efforts to live the intellectual life. And number two, I will also be able to learn something. My kids will learn something, too. And if they don't listen, they're just going to fall asleep, and it's going to make bedtime easier. So this is how I think. I try to, like, knock things out multiple ways. And uh, they ended up staying awake every time. We're on like chapter eight. And uh, and I've been reading it to them every night, just chapter a night. And uh, what I realized in this whole, yes, fabulous movie, I see that. I can ban you, actually, David. <laughs> this, censor it, you know. I'm going to star your stuff right now. I wonder if that comes through. Anyway, so at the end of the day, I was reading this to my kids and we got to the point, you know, for those who don't know about Eric Little, He's a Scotsman where he is, um, he's a Christian. He was a, a child of missionary parents to China. Um, rough, rough childhood. Uh, I mean, it's back in the days when, you know, missionary work was everything, including above your parental rights, your parental duties, rather. And so he was in a boarding school. He was raised in China for a while as well. Just a lot of crazy stuff going on in his life. But anyway, he, he ends up, when he's old enough, he's at boarding school in Scotland, and he decides to uh, start doing rugby and track, and he ends up showing some real promise in this stuff. And he's very meek. He's described as meek and humble and a very godly guy. He wasn't proud or anything like that. And he ends up becoming an evangelist and a track star. And Chariots of Fire is about the Olympics in 1924 that he qualifies for shortly after World War I. Everybody's trying to kind of come together again. So they have this these Olympic Games. And um, Eric is this... Uh, kind of saintly character who's coming through. He's not a Catholic, just for those who, who care about that kind of thing. And he is uh, he is trying to honor God with his gifts and abilities. He's a very, very admirable figure for anybody who wants to live a godly life. Well, then in, in 1924, uh, the Olympic Games, his event, the 100-meter dash, he finally qualifies for the Olympics. And uh, he finds out that the heats... For qualifying, which, you know, in order to get to the finals, that everybody should know this, but you don't just go to the Olympics and they don't take the eight fastest people. You got to go in, you got to do qualifying rounds. And if you don't go to those qualifying rounds, you don't get to run the race. Like you don't, you can't run your, your, for the medal. So he finds out that his race is on Sunday. And 
the race that he's running on, uh, that he's supposed to run is 100 meters. That's his best event. Everybody is so excited because they finally have somebody who can win this event. And he says to himself, I can't do it. And they say, why? Why can't you do that? And it's because Sunday is a holy day. And he believes that, and he's not, as far as I know, he's not Latter-day Saints or he's not Seventh-day Adventist or any of that kind of stuff. It's just, this is a day that he dedicates to God in his Christian life. And he says, I won't be, I won't be running in the hundred meters. And everybody gets very, very frustrated with him. He becomes mocked. He becomes uh, ridiculed in the newspapers. If he was around, around today, uh, his, he would be trending on Twitter as, you know, crazy anti, you know, Scottish Christian decides not to run race, you know, let's team down and all this kind of stuff. I mean, he's just getting it so much so that apparently his parents actually found out about it in China. Okay, I mean, that's that's according to this biography that I have here. And um, and it occurred to me that uh, we need a little, little in our lives. That's why this title is of our episode today is We Need a Little, Little. Because the when you read his story, you realize the world was always as crazy as it is now. Meaning, they've always made fun of Christians for taking stands, whether that be for the vaccine, a.k.a. cheeseburgers, or if that was because of holidays that they wouldn't go do certain things like play soccer or, or run track races, or maybe they have dietary restrictions. Every people at this point had already gotten to a point where they were ridiculing the religious for their beliefs that God wanted them to behave a certain way, to take a certain stand that the world wouldn't understand. And as I was reading this to my kids, I got a little choked up because number one, it caused me to really recall a lot of my running career, and I sacrificed a lot during that time and did not have the results that Eric Little got. Uh, but the, the second thing is, is because you start to realize that the world has always been crazy, but people like Eric Little helped keep that insanity restrained. And now the question is, is, well, why is the world so crazy now? And I think it's because Christians have lost their sense of conscience and the sacred. They've lost this understanding of what it means to actually live according to their faith. They are constantly trying to materialize their faith and find some sort of material reason for why they believe what they believe. And if they can't justify it with science, then I guess they're 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 totally, you know, rational in their quote unquote living for Jesus. And the, the thing that came to me while I was while I was thinking about this was all the COVID-19 stuff, all of the the, the Christian kind of lukewarm aspects of life. And um and I have something here that I, I have my notes. I forgot to pull them up. While you pull up your notes, there we go. David let us know that um Eric Little was ah. a Scotch Presbyterian Sabbatarian. Sabbatarian. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you very much, David. Um and uh and there was something I wanted to bring up very specifically. I need to check my notes here. Hold on one second, guys. Oh, yeah. Okay. And and you, you, you asked the question, you know, well, what would happen if Eric Little did something like that today outside of the virality and all this kind of stuff around Twitter and social media and things like that? Well, I know what we would say about him. We would say, you're so legalistic. Or, how pharisaical of you? Or, don't you know we're under the new covenant? That means we don't have to be religious anymore. 
And the question becomes, you know, what would Eric say to us? Which I suspect, based on on the book, that he would probably be meek and mild, and he would say, well, God still loves you, even though you're making some pretty bad decisions. Like, for example, what would Eric Little do if his work told him he had to have pronouns in his bio in order to keep his job? What would he do if uh, about somebody telling him, hey, maybe you should do uh, surrogacy or IVF in order to have the kids that you feel like you're, you ought to have? instead of adopt. What about, and also, you know, while claiming to be pro-life, right? These are Christians, not not the non-Christians out there who feel that they can rationalize things and have no sacred foundation from which they decide their ethical beliefs. What would they say about Christians who decide that they're going to pour thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars into Disney products while Disney openly claims and affirms this claim of trying to LGBT uh, propagate your children. We had a we had a video that when we had Disney Plus, where you know they had National Geographic on, and it was a transgender person trying to take care of a dog, and they did this whole spiel on transgenderism, and we put it up there because our kids have somebody in their life who takes care of dogs, and we thought, oh, this will be cool; they'll be able to connect with their relative, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then we get this transgender speech, and now we've got to turn it off, and then they're wondering why. Or how about this, Christian leaders who you know, decide that they're going to preach a false gospel where repentance is optional. Or how about the last one? Getting the vaccine, even though you don't really believe that it'll work, but because you don't want to lose your job. Now, these are the kinds of things, again, I'm not trying to be like overly judgmental on some of this stuff. I'm trying to recognize that if there were more Eric Littles in the world, do we really think that what happened over the last two years, the doubt in our in our institutions, the doubt in uh, our ability to trust our government, the doubt in our church leadership, all of these things, do we really think that we would be in this crisis of knowledge and truth that we are if people actually took more of their stands based on principles and statements of faith rather than whether or not they can rationally justify it based on the Constitution slash natural law, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Not that those things are bad. But what Eric Little does is that he decides not to run the 100-meter dash because it's the Sabbath. And in an ironic twist, a kind of weird, I don't know if you would want to call it typological, but in a way, you have a Christian sacrificing his position for the 100-meter dash, and his rival is a Jewish man whose holy day is on Saturday. And because Eric Little's not there, this guy, Harold Abrams, ends up winning the 100-meter dash and in a time where anti-Semitism was very high. And it said in the, in the book, the biography we had, that Harold Abrams, one of his goals was to run the 100-meter dash to prove to British people that Jewish people could be good Brits too. Now, Eric Little sacrifices his dream, his goal of running in this 100-meter dash because of his sacred beliefs, not because he loves Harold Abrams, but because of what God had led him to believe about the holy day and his conscience. It's totally a statement of faith. We could rationalize, well, you know, you don't really have to do that because Paul says this and whatever time and, you know, whatever. But the thing that's interesting about Eric Little's position is that all he did was say, I can't do it. He didn't say, you have to do it. He said, I can't do it. And the world attacked him for it. And the same thing happened to people who said things about the vaccine. And the same thing happens to people who say, I can't subscribe to Disney+. Plus." This happens to me all the time. So people will say, well, you're going 
You can stop buying from Amazon then. Huh? Huh? Because, you know, they do bad stuff too. And it's like, yeah, they do. And I don't know why God's led me not to do Disney Plus, but for one thing, he hasn't made me feel the same way about Amazon. And that should be sufficient. But the question becomes, okay, now for us as Christians, if we have this diversity of conscience, basically, again, within the realm of biblical uh, truth and what God has laid out as far as the commands in his word, Eric Little didn't violate anything in God's word for not running that race. And nobody violates anything in God's word for purchasing Disney Plus or saying not to do Disney Plus. What I think is the lesson here is, number one, we need a lot more Littles out there in the world who are willing to just say, yeah, I can't do that because God doesn't want me to. I can't do that because that violates this my conscience. And leave it at that. And the Christians who don't have the same kind of sensitivity in their conscience, they need to be like Simon, who helps Christ carry his cross to Golgotha. You might not have the same conviction, but you need to understand that when God puts a burden on some other Christian brother, maybe your job is to defend their decision in the way that I'm defending Eric Littles right now. Because guess what? Nobody talks about the fact that he won the 400 meters. Everybody talks about the fact, which was in his race, by the way. Everybody talks about the fact that he didn't run the 100. And so his gold medal may have stayed here for the 400, but his gold medal was waiting for him when he got to heaven. Anyway, we'll probably talk about him a little bit more, but that's what I think about Eric Little. And uh, I think we could use a little more little in our lives. All right, so now we're going to go to the reading and writing portion. And uh, for those of you who, who don't know, um, last week I made an announcement that, you know, I'm investigating the Catholic faith, and I know that there are more people on today at this point than there were last week, so I'm sure that that probably presents a little bit of a surprise. So if you are hearing this for the first time and you have questions, feel free to reach out if you have my phone number. If not, you know, then uh, pray for me, I guess. So I'm obviously, uh, things I'm reading right now, I'm reading the Catechism of the Catholic Faith. I wanted to, I've been meaning to read that actually for years. Had it in seminary, knew some friends who went and converted and had planned to read it for apologetic purposes. But uh, I'm about 300 pages in to that. Uh, The other book I'm reading here is obviously the, the Eric Little guy here uh, to my kids. Uh, And again, emphasis on investigation. Okay. We are not Catholic yet. Some people thought that we are already made up our minds. We have not. Uh, And uh, for obvious reasons, it's not exactly, uh, it's not looking great in the Catholic church right now. Um, So then there's uh, Mortimer Adler's Truth in Religion. This is a really solid book. Um, I started reading it in uh, seminary, doing some work on uh, the nature of truth. And, uh, and then the last thing I am reading right here, hold on kids, is this catechism, uh, or not catechism, uh, commentary on the, on the, uh, New Testament, uh, Catholic commentary on sacred scripture. Uh, it's really good. Uh, even if you're not a Catholic, uh, if you're Anglican, you'll definitely like this. You might not like the, the commentary on, uh, the Pope, uh, section, but outside of that, it's, it's incredible. And the reason why I like it is because... It uh, has these little um, backgrounds on uh, church fathers uh, that I didn't know about. And so they have these church father sections and things like that. Um, so that's what I'm reading. Let me know what you guys are reading uh, down below. One of the things that uh, we are also going to start doing is doing writing prompts. So when you get to this section of the show, 
one of the things I'm going to do is say, this is what I'm going to write on this week. So this past week, I wrote an article on Eric Little titled, We Need a Little Little. Uh, it's going to drop probably tonight or tomorrow. And then later this week, I'm going to start a series. I'm starting to research for the show uh, the uh, question on the... Uh, the uh, ah, I lost my train of thought. There we go. There, there it is. Uh, transcendentals. So if you're not familiar with the transcendentals, those are uh, truth, goodness, and beauty. And one of the reasons that I decided to do this is because I was talking to my boss um, uh, at work about, uh, you know, the transcendentals. He, he had mentioned something uh, about truth, goodness, and beauty. And uh, because of the, the, the order that they were put in propositionally, uh, there was kind of this little chat that happened around like, well, obviously truth comes first and beauty good. Well, the whole point about the transcendentals is that the way that we separate them is not how they actually are in existence. And I thought this would be a great exercise for everybody listening because this is a big, this has huge implications for how you understand the abstract. Uh, and, and not just as abstract, but also as the activity of the mind which cuts things off. It's, it's like an intellectual blade. And, and so when somebody presents you with an idea, you start to kind of cut things off in, in order for, and you have to do that because otherwise it's not intelligible. And so when you understand something as it is, oftentimes it's described as indescribable, right? And so this is because in order for you to start describing something, you got to start using that intellectual blade to start cutting things off. So when you read things like the Trinity and it's confusing, the reason why is because in order to actually discuss the Trinity, you have to start talking about it in terms of its person because you only talk about one person of the Trinity at one time. And so this gives this kind of existential feel of tritheism or something like that. It gives this feeling of like, oh, your words don't seem to line up with what it would actually mean because you're talking about Jesus over here. And everybody who knows, everybody who has had kids and tried to explain the Trinity to the kids, this is this is a very common confusion that happens because they're they're too young to understand the way that their mind is thinking about some of these things. So we're going to start doing a, a series on that is uh, the transcendentals. And so I'm reading Mortimer Adler. We're going to do the first one is going to be on truth, and then the next one's going to be on beauty. And I'm going to use Armin Maurer for him. And then I need to find somebody on goodness, um, maybe Aristotle on goodness, but uh, we'll see. Uh, maybe Thomas Aquinas, but. If you have recommendations, let me know. Um, preferably somebody contemporary. Um, but anyway, so that is the uh, the the writing and reading portion. So if you have something that you you want to practice this, one of the things that I do is obviously I sell pens. I sell them on our Shopify, or we will, is that you should actually be writing out your ideas. And this is to accomplish two things. One is it slows down your your mind on these things. Number two in the era of the internet, when you have a book like this, and you know, it's there, there's just something that happens. When you sit down and you decide, I'm going to write about truth in this, and you don't have anything else. You're just writing because you want to know what you think about truth. Writing is a mirror for the mind. I think Dennis Prager said that. And if you do this, if you start to say, all right, Daniel's giving me a prompt, what is truth? right? What Pilate said to Jesus, what is it? Why don't you go and write down what it is in your book? Because that's what you really, really think. And this will actually help you later on, because what it does is it dis 
positions you to recognize when somebody says something that either enhances or causes you to question what you actually believe. Because this, this pen, when you write with a pen, especially a nice pen like my pens, right? I mean, I haven't heard directly from God on this. But uh, according to some of the angels, there's some, <laughs> there's some murmurs about a guy who's got a pen shop on earth that might just, might just be making pens in heaven. I don't know. I don't know if it's me. <laughs> but don't you want to get in on early if it is? All right. Anyway, so if you use a nice pen or even just one that you reserve, it doesn't even have to be pretty and beautiful or whatever. It's just this is the pen for writing. And you say, I'm going to do what Daniel said. I'm going to actually write what is truth. What is goodness? What is beauty? How do they relate to each other? What are the differences between them? Are there differences between them? And you just write out your thoughts on it in your journal. And then you, you, you're ready for next week's episode and you're going you're gonna to be blown away, right? So with that being said, we need a little little in our lives. We need you to be writing your own ideas, your own thoughts, because you will become more true to yourself and you will understand more where God is leading you. And it'll also it'll predispose your conscience to see the good, the beautiful, and the true. So thank you very much for listening, everybody. If you enjoyed this episode, give it a thumbs up, give it a like, subscribe, share it with your friends. I'm Daniel Roberts with Lindsay Roberts. Keep thinking.